Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low-as-can-be APR, zero deposit required, and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. Good afternoon and you're very welcome along to Friday's Late Lunch with me, Joan Larkin, sitting in for Jerry again today. Lots to come on the show to keep you entertained, so do hope you can stay with us. As usual, the number to call with your comments or questions is 086-1800-658. Now, a new and emotionally powerful documentary on Chernobyl hit our screens on Sky Atlantic recently, giving a fresh look at the disaster which happened back in 1986. 25-year-old Raisa Carolyn spent her early years in an orphanage number three in Minsk before Anne and Tom Carolyn adopted her and gave her a new home in Trim in County Meath. Rice is on the line now to give us her thoughts on the Chernobyl documentary amongst other things. Hi Raisa. Hi, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you doing today? Good very much, thank you. Raisa, you went along to see the premiere of Chernobyl in Dublin recently. What did you think? How did you feel looking at it? Uh, yeah, I did, um, up in the Lighthouse Cinema about, uh, about five or six weeks ago now. Um, I, um, I got to watch the first episode of the series. And um, it was uh, sitting there after it had finished. It was uh, mind-blowing, to be honest. Um, it was chilling. It was gripping. It was uh, very trying to relate to us. And I suppose that spoke to me personally because I can relate to it in that way. Of course. It was very difficult watching. I did watch it. Yeah, it's it is. Um, it's not for the faint-hearted. Um, it's certainly it's deep, and it does speak to you, and it resonates with the characters as well. So I think it gets really into it, which I think is very good and very well done, and it just speaks to its audience as well and educates them about what happened and the people that sacrificed to give up what they did to save more people and the wider Europe. It's generally been very well received, but do you think from your knowledge of it that it represents it very well, the disaster and how it happened and the aftermath? Um, it ha- um, I think personally myself, yes, it does. Um, the simple of the fact is that not very many people knew the real truth behind it. And I think this has really shed a light on the truth. And, you know, all the sources that have been used and references that have been mm-hmm. used for this have been very much legit and very, very good in where the information is coming from. So I think it is. And, you know, a lot of, I've been reading a lot about it and even looking and studying about it since. A lot of the details, uh, the small details of, you know, what the world was like at that time and what society in Belarus and Ukraine was like in that time, you know, even down to the clothes they wear, the things they have in their house. It's it's very much down to the detail, uh, which is very good. And I think it's a very good mm-hmm. representation of the society in the world at that time. Yeah, it's not an easy yeah. watch, but it's well worth watching. Um, you yourself, you suffered the effects of the radiation, right? Um, what effects did it have on you? Um, the, the majority of the effects, I was born with the physical disabilities as a result of the radiation itself. So I would have been uh, numerous genetic disorders passed down through my my parents um, as they were alive at the time of the disaster. And so I kind of a lot of physical disabilities that I would have had to uh, try and overcome over the last couple of years. And can you, do you remember much about living in the orphanage? Um, I would have, uh, I would have quite a lot of recollection of my time there, yes. 
unfortunately, no, none of us is very positive. It was all quite uh, negative experiences, you know, from, you know, suffering abuse and influenced by the caretakers and just not being able to have a childhood or not being able to have a life. And as well as also being having disabilities, you were seen as kind of nothing. So you nobody ever applied time to care for you properly or to give you what you need to learn to talk or eat or any of that kind of stuff is not given to you. You just kind of left to one side as such. And you say that you do remember um, a room full of toys in the orphanage, but this was just for show. Yes, absolutely. They had a, they had a room there. And the only time that they ever allowed us to go into it was when we had visitors coming from the outside. And in that case, then we were allowed into this room, play with toys. We were dressed up with nice clothes. And just for the duration of while the visitors were there, we were allowed to play and be with these toys. But then as soon as these people left, back out the room and go back into our our dirty clothes again and no sight of the the toys again until another visit as such. And Risey, you were six when you first came to Ireland. How did you feel when you came here to Tom and Anne in Ireland? Um, I was quite young. Um, from what from what I can remember, I suppose it's an exciting experience and um, being you know being left out of the orphanage. It's like a day trip, so to speak, and obviously the society is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, even you know going from uh, an orphanage for abandoned children to a family that can love and care for you, it's just it's very very overwhelming and very different. And I suppose I didn't know I was in, in my element as such, I guess, because, you know, you had everybody doting over you and yeah. fussing over you, whereas you're not very used to that. Yeah. And then, the, and then of course, you had to go back. Yes, you would have, I would have had to go back um, every four hours. So I would have only been in Ireland for maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of months, depending on the nature of the stay. So for medical reasons, I would have been here for a bit longer. But I eventually would have always had to go back until I finally got adopted. So, yeah, there were quite hard and tough times and you know myself and my mother Anne would become emotional wrecks but you know we had to reassure ourselves that it was only going to be for a short time and that eventually we would, I would end up back here permanently. And now of course you've been living in Trim for for the re- for your life and, and, and you're a full Trim woman now. Yeah absolutely um, been, been living in Trim since 2002 and not taking into account uh, shipping off to go to college in Galway or Cork but uh, yeah I've spent the majority I would be I would class myself as a, a mead woman as a mead woman <laughs> and tell us a little bit about college so you went to college in Galway and then you went to college in Cork as well I believe um, we have celebrations you have a master's can you tell us a bit about that a master's in what Raisa? Um, I went I was down at UCC and I did a master's in criminology wow criminology so it's a, a tough well one done. but uh, <laughs> It was. Uh, it's very good. It's, it's something I always had an interest in, and that was just after my degree in Galway. It's what I wanted to do, and I said I'd go down to Cork and do it down in Cork. And I had spent a year down there, and then last year or two years ago, then I would have um, graduated from that. And that's what you hope your future will be in criminology. Yes, yeah, something similar related to it. Yeah, that's the main area that I have an interest in, and I like the concept of being able to help people. And although it kind of might be in a, a different sense as a nurse or a doctor, but it's still the society, you know, we're growing in, we're becoming now is more kind of crime, and especially online crime is becoming more popular. And I suppose I just, with my interest in that, is kind of the area that I want to get into. And you're also ambassador for the Chernobyl Children's International. Um, what does that involve, Raisa? Um, I am indeed. Um, I share my story on behalf of the charity to try and raise awareness and to kind of allow the public to see that, you know, good does come out of the charity work and, you know, and I do public speaking and events and I kind of, to share my story, I try and help raise awareness not only for the disaster that's happened but also the legacy in the aftermath that has left behind. Because... Yeah, because up until this documentary, it seemed the Chernobyl disaster seems to have faded in many people's memories. And now it's back in the forefront again. That can only surely be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, with the charity work and the work that they do for a number of years, a lot of people are aware of the effects that 
that's come after that, but a lot of people have forgotten about the actual disaster itself, and that is something that is fantastically done in this series, is that it has shined a light on what actually happened, and the, and the full magnitude of it, and I think, you know, for the younger generation as well, because a lot of, a lot of people my age would not know much about it, and um, my friends do because of my personal relationship with it, but if I ask any anybody else who's my age or younger, they wouldn't. They actually would tell you that they don't even know what Chernobyl is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. And the whole documentary of Chernobyl must be a bit bittersweet for you. Well, if if it hadn't happened and it was a dreadful disaster, but your life may have been completely different. You say? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I kind of uh, reflected upon watching this disaster and. I never realised that something of such a magnitude would actually plan out my life, and um, and it has. And you know, I've been one of the luckier ones that I have had a positive effect from it. And um, there's a lot more who unfortunately haven't. But it is kind of amazing to think that one big event that has happened almost 30 years or over 30 years ago now has had such an effect on my life and mm. made my life the way it is today. And Raisi, have you heard of this new wave of Chernobyl tourism? It's going on, people are going out there to visit the site. Do you think this is reckless or even disrespectful to, to the, the memory of all of those people who died there? Um, I, I am aware of this, actually. I've uh, been kind of reading up on it in the last couple of days, and I think 2FM were speaking about it today as well. And personally, it's not something that I would condone. I wouldn't be in favour of it. And as far as I know, the 80s charity Ch- Chernobyl as well are not in are not encouraging it and personally I don't think it's something that should be encouraged it's something that mm. it's a it, you know it's a site of a, of a big disaster that happened a lot of people lost their lives and, and the after effects of it as well are still continuing today and the fact that it's kind of used as a a hot spot for tourism is, is a, you know, it is disrespectful in a way, but it's also dangerous because there is still radioactive areas around the area. And to say that it's not dangerous to go there, it is. And, you know, it's, the whole region itself is a ghost town, and it's a ghost town for a reason because it's not safe. So along yeah. with the safety aspects of it and the fact that they're going just to, you know, see, see it because it's now a TV show, yeah, it's it's just it wouldn't be something that I would encourage. And but do you hope to visit the area again to to try to find any members of your family who may be still there? Have you plans um, to go back? Yeah, I I do personally have plans to go back to Belarus, and you know, I if I do go back and I visit Belarus or Chernobyl region, you know, I'll be doing this for my own personal reasons as a personal connection to it mm-hmm. to try and find out for my own past and to kind of my identity, my identity. So yeah. I do hope to go back in, in in the future to find my biological family and to kind of get answers around, you know, why things happened the way it did in my childhood over there. Yeah. Raisa, congratulations on the Masters and thanks a million for taking the time to chat with me today. Raisa, Carolyn, no, thank you so much. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. Welcome back to Late Lunch. You can text or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. Now, a County Louth athlete has been dubbed Iron Dad and he's aiming to complete 32 triathlons in 32 days in 32 counties in Ireland. Declan Lloyd joins me on the line. Hi, Declan. Hi, how are you? Declan, first question. Are you stone mad? Yeah, absolutely. You would have to be. (laughs) You would have to be. I think anybody anybody that, do, that attempts to do any any sort of big challenge has to be a little bit mad because uh, you know or think think a little bit differently you know. Listen, one triathlon is enough. Thirty two in thirty two days across all thirty two counties. Aye, but sure, I'd be on holidays for the thirty two days. So I, I say, <laughs> rather than doing sitting on the beach, I'll just sit in the bike. You know. <laughs> right. Okay. First of all, for anybody, including myself, who's never done a triathlon, what does it involve? Well, there's diff- different distances in a triathlon, but it's usually a swim, cycle, and a run. So this, the triathlon that I, the distance that I've chosen, will be a one-kilometer swim, and then uh, onto the bike where I'll do a hundred kilometers on the bike, and then off the bike and I'll do a ten-k run. Um, so that's one, eat one of those per day for thirty-two days in a row. Well, hang on a minute. You get off a bike after doing a hundred kilometers. Your legs will be in bits, and then you have to run ten. 
Yeah, uh, you've the wrong ten k, but the, <laughs> the, 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 it's, the ten k is not that long. Right? Uh, as well, it's, in my mind, it's not that long at the at, at the minute, you know. But mm. if, go, if you know, if I take it easy, like I won't be racing every day. So the goal is just to sort of take it easy, take yeah. it steady, keep keep the heart rate low. And um, but is there a time you're aiming to do it in? No, there's there's no time, but uh, but roughly I'll be twenty minutes swim max, probably four hours in the bike, and then one hour run. Um, ah, sure. So it's um, but I've been but taking, uh, taking it easy, like you know. That's taking it easy. Okay, you're already a Guinness World Record holder. You have completed 30 half iron triathlons um, last year. Was that another? Was that a world record attempt last year? It, it was a Guinness World Record. Yes. Yeah. So I, I finished it on the 28th of July last year. I did 30 70.3. So the 70.3 distance is a 1.9 kilometer swim, 90k bike, and a half marathon. Um, so I did that. I don't know. I had, I had to do a lot of travelling and that, and around the world, yeah. different, different countries, and that. I think it was about twenty countries and um, thirty cities. So I did that last year. So coming towards the end of that challenge, I, I just when I was travelling around the world, you know, I was, I, it was it was lonely. Like I was by myself. So um, then I had the idea of just going around Ireland. And I says, wouldn't it be just great to get encourage people to get out and like mm. encourage people like me who who's really only a beginner I, I i'm not an athlete i'm i'm only a beginner like so i, I took it up a few years ago and really you, you weren't always because usually people who do this sort of thing have been runners since they were young fellas but you weren't were you a bit of a couch potato at one time when i was a really young fella <laughs> i was yeah. up until about 16 17 i did a bit of running yeah but no i didn't exercise I only took it up in, I did my first 70.3 in, in the 27th of May, 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so there is recent, yeah. So I was training, I started training eight months pro- properly before that. So so I sort of, blew, when I had the idea of the Guinness World Record Challenge I and I, and I did it, it sort of blew my mind away of, of what just the average Joe Soap can do. And then I had this idea of, you know, encouraging people to come out and get into exercise, you know, run 5K, walk it, swim a little bit or cycle a little bit. And, so and that's that, what this is all about, Declan, is it? You're trying to encourage people to get out there. That's that's part of it, yeah. Um, but the, the other part is is to raise money for the uh, Super U, which uh, goes into schools and teaches TY students um, uh, well-being, empowerment and provides tools to, to, to kids to deal with challenges that, that we, all, yeah. we all face in life. So I'm sort of passionate about that. I'm on the board of directors of that. We, we last, uh, last year, as in the school ter- school year there, there was about, I'd say, close to 5,000 um, kids got the CBU talks. Mm. So that's, I'm passionate about getting that out there. And the story, I suppose the Iron Dad story, when, when we're getting into schools, helps because you're sort of saying, you know, the, um, you're using the tools that you're delivering in schools and the boys are delivering in schools as well. So, Yeah, of course, when the kids would hear there's somebody coming in called Iron Dad, that really would pique their attention, wouldn't it? It, it would, yeah. So, um, so you know, I do a bit of it, but the, there, there is a team of guys yeah. behind it as well who do the talks and that. So and Declan, can, can I talk to you a bit about your training schedule then? What What's yeah. involved in your training for this? Uh, tra- well, it's it's only like the last time around. I probably was training more, but uh, like on average, I'd be twelve hours a week, thirteen, but some weeks maybe up to fifteen hours a week. Hmm. Um, it doesn't so, seem like a lot for what you're taking on. No, I was sort of thinking that myself. All right, I was saying, "Geez, have I done enough training for this?" <laughs> <laughs> Says she but, who doesn't do any. <laughs> but um, but no, like like today, you know, will be two and a half hours today. Tomorrow will be four and a half hours, and then Sunday will be uh, long. An hour and a half run, so you know that's three, mm. three days where you're you're bulking it in a lot. So, um, and is this one thing just keep the pace slow? Uh, yeah, in my mind the swim's easy, the run's easy, and then the bike is just you know to just just dawdle around, make, go easy, make sure I don't pick up any niggles or things like that. You know, so it's more tortoise, not the hare. It's definitely tortoise. I'm very good at being the tortoise. Uh, I'm very good at being, at being at being last, you know. Oh, well, as long as you get there, isn't that all that counts, really? Yeah. And you don't injure yourself in the process. Yeah, well, my, my race is 32, 32, and, uh, 32 races, so I have to be sensible because if I if I try and push it on to keep up with somebody, then that could be the very thing that will yeah. tweak something, you know. So I've got my numbers, I stick to them. And that takes a lot of discipline. A um, lot, a lot of discipline because, you know, at times, at times when I was doing my training in the early stages, at times I had to walk, you know. Um, yeah. But 
people, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have the patience for that. Um, but it's that's I suppose it's my sort of game that I do, you know, the endurance stuff. So where do you start, and and when do you start, and then where do you finish? So we start in County Loud. Uh, sorry, we start uh, in Uri Actually, um, we're finishing in County Loud. Uh, that, that, that's where I live. I live near Castlebane in County Loud. So we're finishing in Loud um, on the on the twentieth of July, and there's a there's a full day where people can come out and join join the challenge. There, there's a few spaces left, and that and that starts from Fella, goes to Carlingford, over the Cooley Mountains, back, and then run round Black Rock, Black Rock County Loud. Uh, and then we start in Newry, um, because I'm, uh, originally I'm from, that's where my, my hometown was, is Newry, so mm-hmm. I start in Newry. And then we go to every county, so Newry, Antrim, Antrim, Donegal, Donegal, um, Derry, Derry, Fermanagh, and then all, all over. Every the single county in Ireland, you're taking every single county. Yeah, and look, the, I couldn't do it without the help of the triathlon clubs, um, that I think there's about 20 three or four triathlon clubs have, they don't even know me but they've they've come out and they say they've oh, got behind they've you. Up the local the local events so logistically I, I always said that the hardest part of this is, is not the challenge it's not the physical challenge it's the it's the logistics so yeah. you seem to have that in, in, in place well brilliant Declan do you know what best of luck best of luck with the challenge and, and indeed everything you do in the future and thanks Thank a million for the time today no problem. Appreciate Take that. care. Thanks a million, Declan. Bye bye. We have music now uh, taking us up to the news at two. The thrills and big sore. The late lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing one nine two early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive one nine two offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. Now, you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Now, my next guest is an award-winning writer and performer who says, and I love this description as he sits opposite me, I'm going to attempt this now. He says he enjoys writing work of abiding strangeness aimed at provoking that apocalyptic oscillation where the brain cannot decide what is appropriate, laughter or grief. He's lived his whole life in the village of Dunshockland where all his stories take place and he says he loves the place with a very special type of hate. That's some way to describe Dunshockland. Graham Tugwell, you're very welcome to studio. Thank you very much for having me. You are more than welcome. How do you get away with describing Dunshockland in such a way you love it with a special kind of hate? I don't know if I'll get away with that, to be perfectly honest. Well, it's out um, there now. Yes, it's out there now, unfortunately, yes. But uh, yeah, I think it's the um, the intimacy of growing up in a place. You know it's, you know it's sort of, uh, it's foibles and, you know, the good things about it, but you also know, you know, it's... Uh, it's sort of a darker side, what have you. So, oh, okay. Yes. So is this, did you draw all your inspiration then from living in such a small village? And how did you get into horror writing? Um, well, I think uh, all my inspiration comes from growing up in Dunshockland, particularly the Red Bog Road on the side of Dunshockland, the fields and the bridges there. They, they feature quite a lot in my work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, 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 I kind of fell into horror writing. I have a kind of... Uh, uh, personality abnormality where no matter what <laughs> I write it turns into horror. Okay, so just, you could start off to write a fairy story. I could write a love story and it would become horrific within a paragraph. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> were you always so. that way when you were in school and you were you had to write essays and stuff? Yeah, I, I always would twist things or I'd, you know, uh, I'd take the, the darker route and uh, it would go it would go horrific. What type of horror is it? Because there's a few mm. different types, aren't there? Certainly, there is indeed. Um, I, I wouldn't be the hugest fan of, say, supernatural horror, okay. vampires, werewolves, that sort of thing. Mm. I'm much more interested in the horror of growing up, the horror of discovering perhaps that the world is hostile, the world is is, is not a pleasant place to be in, uh, where you, you know, the safety of childhood transitioning into adulthood, where a lot of the comforts are stripped away, a lot of the understandings you might have about life are stripped away, and you realise just how big and how cold the world can actually be. And how does that turn into actual horror then? That sounds like someone having mm-hmm. a tough life. Yeah, Certainly, but- certainly. Um, it's... Uh, this sort of this sort of sense you know this sort of um of thematic stuff then becomes uh uh um, it 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 takes the form of say horrible monsters that might appear in the stories right. it may be um the uh physical effects that these choices people have in their lives actually have 
Um, so the, it starts off as a feeling or a theme, but it generally becomes embodied through the story. And becomes a real a real entity, and if you like. It becomes a real entity. So it's exactly. not supernatural, it's horror of, of real mm. life, human Essentially, yeah. Horror. It's, it's kind of like, um, there's a particular type of horror called body horror. Oh, okay. <laughs> where it's, I see that every morning when I look course, in the mirror. Of course. <laughs> um, same as myself. Um, but it's, it's a very sort of uh, physical, grounded type of horror where yeah. the horror comes from the reality of the situation. Oh, OK, I understand a yeah. little bit. I don't understand fully, but I understand sure. a lot more now. So um, do you think there's not that many horror writers around today? Are there? I grew up with Stephen King and mm-hmm. all his novels, mm-hmm. read a couple of them, watched um, the movie about the car, Christine. Oh, Chris, yes. Yeah, when yes. I was a teenager, um, couldn't sleep after it. And I believe that's a very gentle movie, <laughs> yes. really. My kids yeah. laugh at me now when I say I couldn't sleep after Christine, but I can't cope with horror at all. Hmm. But how are you on the old horror movie front? I, I'm not very good at it at all. Oh, I, really? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm very sensitive to horror. So when horror really works, it cuts into me very deep and I find it very difficult to uh, absorb it. So I kind of avoid horror in many ways. Horror movies and horror, horror movies, books? Horror movies, horror books, yeah. Really? I do, But that yeah. just shows that they're really working. They're getting the, under your skin. They do the job, yeah, exactly. And, and Stephen King was the master mm, of yeah, all of that, yeah. wasn't he? Um, I, uh, there's a few books of his now that I would you know, that I would cite as being big influences mm. on, on my writing. Uh, Salem's Lot, for instance. I'm going to Salem mm. in September, actually. Oh, I, I am, yeah. I hope we don't run into any vampires. I'm going to do the whole yes. tour thing. Yeah, I'm staying in Salem mm. for a week, actually. Yeah, so I, I haven't got a huge interest in that sort of thing, but it just looks like a lovely, yeah. interesting mm-hmm. place to go. But uh, yeah, Salem's Lot. I remember that movie, actually, mm-hmm. when we were young. Did that? Did you watch that? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's. It, he does a very sort of... His, his dread and his creepiness mm. really comes out of uh, things that I'm interested in, you know, place, growing up, uh, all these sort of um, small towns, you know, the, 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 this sort of thing that I find really, really interesting and really, really sort of reflects on my work as well. And when yeah. you were growing up, were, were you always into this or did you, were you like a normal kid? Did you read comics? I read comics indeed, yeah. Uh, I was big into comics. Um, I, I really only discovered that I kind of liked horror or was uh, leaning towards horror uh, much later in life. It would have been in my 20s. Oh, right, um, okay. when I was When I was younger than that, I wouldn't really have uh, dabbled in, in, in horror that much at all, if I'm perfectly honest. And a title grabbed my eye today mm. when we were having a look and researching a little bit and the title, Just Below the Reservoir. Yes. That even just those four words are creepy. Yeah. Can yeah, you explain yeah. a little bit about what Just Below the Reservoir is? So um, it's a, uh, a podcast series that I, I, I wrote and acted in and produced and directed uh, based in Dunshockland with horror stories. Uh, and basically the overarching theme of it is that there's a malign entity that lives in a reservoir just outside Dunshockland and it's infecting the water with sort of liquid horror if you will oh, yeah, okay. and forcing people to be in horror stories for its own amusement oh okay so it is a, a living breathing it's entity a, it's a thing. thing it's a thing it's a thing and, and it infects the water and then people drink the water bathe in the water exactly. and then they're forced to act out act out this stories. thing's uh, yeah. fantasies, visions, whatever. Is that's that, it, that's, that's, it. that's fascinating yeah, and yeah. it's a podcast. Yes. Uh, so at the moment we're, uh, is it 18 episodes I think we have of it? I can't quite remember. Okay. But it's, yeah, yeah. And tell me this, on a basic level, do you believe in the supernatural? I don't, no. At all? I don't. Do you I, believe I've, in evil? Um, that's, an odd, that's an odd question. Um, hmm. Yes, I believe people are capable of being evil. I don't think there is a concept of evil. Evil is more the consequences of people's actions rather than being an inherent part of someone's character, I would say. So you don't think people can be born evil? I don't think so, no. I think the closest you can get to being born evil would be someone with a suppressed moral or ethical centre, which means that they make the wrong choices, the choices that maybe help themselves but really hurt others. Okay. I think it's through their actions that that becomes evil. But if they don't take those actions, how do you know if they're evil or not? And you don't believe in the supernatural? I don't, no. At all? No, no. Okay, so you're not going to write about that sort of thing then, of course, if you, if you don't believe no, in No, I, I don't find it scary, if I'm perfectly honest. Really? Su- supernatural things, yeah. Like That would freak me r- out. Really? Yeah, yeah. 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 Or any movies yeah. or anything to do with that, yeah. yeah. Just like, ghosts, they, they can't harm you. They, they're just sort of like... 
sad bits of air that sort of float around the place. Oh gosh, okay. <laughs> but Dunshockland, I'm interested in what the people of Dunshockland think about you and, and all your stories are written about the town mm-hmm. and you mentioned a couple of places there. Do you like the town? I do indeed, yeah. You yeah. love the place. I mean, it's, it's, it has its own really distinct identity and I, I feel like I know the history and I know I know the roads and the fields and the various places around it, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what people in Dunshockland think of <laughs> You uh, might find out I, this I, evening. I, I probably will. <laughs> um, I, I tend not to name it as capital D Dunshockland yeah. in my work. Yeah. It's, it's the town. Okay. Well, do you know what? You're here to talk about something entirely different. You're here indeed. to talk about the Crinunanog Festival, am, which yes, is indeed. happening this weekend. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and what you're going to be doing? Yes. So, uh, in uh, Trim Library, uh, tomorrow morning at quarter to 11, I will be presenting a storytelling event called Greetings Heroes and it's uh, an interactive uh, event with kids uh, where they take on the parts of heroes of myth and legend and they get to act out their own story. We roll dice and we see if their successes (laughs) if they are success or failures and uh, yeah they they, they fight evil and if the dice are good to them they defeat evil Oh, okay. Yes. So it's not predetermined. It's all it's on the roll not, of a no. dice and the kid's own imagination. Exactly. And everything basically is random. So on, on in the morning, I might decide, okay, it takes place maybe in a forest today. Let's, let's go with a forest. And okay. then we randomly determine who is playing which hero. Then I ask them, I say, you know, why are you on this quest? We roll a dice randomly and they, I'll say something like, ah, the tribe's special animal has been stolen. And I say to them, <laughs> What is the animal? And they'll say, oh, it's a dolphin. And I'll say, what's its special ability? And they'll say, oh, it can make origami. And i say, excellent. <laughs> it's an origami dolphin. That's what we're going for. It's wide open. It could go, go anywhere. It can go anywhere. And they'll always surprise you. And you're will. saying it's kids. Are they over a certain age? So uh, eight plus. Eight plus. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm, because under yeah. that wouldn't be really able for that, would they? It, 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 they might find it a little bit hard going. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So eight and over. So that's on uh, tomorrow. Trim Library at a quarter to 11. Yes, Nothing indeed. to do with horror. Not with uh, uh, no, I mean, I think what I'll take out of my horror writing <laughs> is the <laughs> sense of description, the sense of uh, yeah. uh, the sense of place, the sense of um, <laughs> uh, maybe uh, the sensory. If that makes sense, you yeah, know, like you are, does, yeah. you're describing, you're saying, like kids, you're in, you're in an old disused tower, and yeah. you feel, you feel the water coming down the walls, and you, you smell the, the the rot of the the wooden the wooden doors, and you hear the sound beyond it. What do you do? Oh, you that's know? wonderful. Graham, the kids will love that. <laughs> uh, it, it has gone very well now. We, we uh, myself and uh, my my writing partner uh, Dave Rudden, we have produ- you know produced it in schools, libraries, various events, and um, all over the country over the last year or so. So, oh, well, the best of luck. Yeah, thanks a million for coming into no, us, Graham. It's been thank fascinating. So that's you. tomorrow, Saturday, Trim Library at a quarter to yes. eleven. Any of the kids over eight years of age, go in there and it'll fire your imaginations. Graham Tugwell, thanks a million. Best of luck. Thank you for having me. Thank you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. You're very welcome back to Late Lunch. Now, we're going to talk a bit about food waste for the next few minutes because next week the Environmental Protection Agency is leading a national Stop Food Waste Week campaign to highlight issues and raise awareness in... Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Food waste. And it's Stop Food Waste Manager Odile Labalock is on the phone now to tell us more. Odile, how are you? Hi, Joan. How's it going today? It's going great. You're very welcome to Late Lunch. So tell us, food waste, it's in the news recently. What are we all doing wrong, Odile? Yeah, well, I think the thing is, we're not intentionally doing anything wrong. That food waste is just a product of our busy lifestyles where when we go shopping, what we want is food that's healthy, that everyone will eat, that's something that you can make quickly. And food waste is really way down our list of priorities. But what happens is we buy too much and we don't use it on time. And I believe it costs the average household about €700 a year. That's it, yeah, which isn't an insignificant amount of money. I mean, that's your car insurance or something like that. Yeah, well, that too, yeah. Mm. So, and an awful lot of food waste still ends up in landfills. Of course, that has its own significant impact on the environment as well. But, I mean, what can we do to combat this? Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. People, you know, do want to do something to help the planet and Mm. combat climate change. And when it comes to food waste, it's actually simple things that we can do. So, make a shopping list before you go shopping. Know what you have before you go shopping is actually the real key one that you don't go out and buy everything that you already have and then make sure be mindful of dates when you're choosing it if you're the type of family that does one big weekly shop make sure that what you're buying will last you you know the dates will go far enough to the end of the week and if not maybe do a top-up shop um, during the week to buy more perishable items so that they will be fresh when you need them then. Because years ago, of course, you'd go to the shop nearly every day for your bits and bobs. And now people tend to just run into the supermarket once a week and pile the trolley high. And I'm guilty of it myself. Sometimes I'd buy stuff and never use it. And it does end up going in the bin. I mean, I suppose the thing is planning, is it? Yeah, well, and one of the other things that we do when, you know, we talk to a lot of people and most people aren't really aware of how much they waste. Like everyone thinks, "Ah, I waste a little bit of food. But what we do is we get people to look at what they throw away for a week. So keep a notepad by your kitchen caddy. And when you're throwing something away, make a note of it, how much it costs you and why you threw it away. And you're far more likely than if you see like half a lettuce head that you threw away one week, then when you go shopping the following week, you're going to think twice before you buy it. So Mm. this is a lot of it is that we just need to be more aware of what we're throwing away. And the thing is that it isn't the same reason for everyone. So your reason for throwing something away might be different from mine. And that's the idea behind Stop Food Waste is that we work through our situations at home and find just one thing that we could change ourselves and that suits our, our family and our habits. And of course, it's not just at home, is it? It's at work as well. You see people bringing in their own lunches to work. This mostly Most um, places would have a fridge and everyone would bring their food in. So you're introducing this new initiative for the workplace. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, that's it. For our Stop Food Waste Week, we're trying to talk to people at work. And the idea being that, you know, the food you buy at home isn't only wasted at home. You do bring food into work. And a lot of things happen, you know, in work you might at the, on a Friday, leave stuff to fester in the fridge over the weekend, and then it all gets thrown out. So one of the things we're, te- we're telling workplaces to is introduce a, a sharing shelf, either in the fridge or the cupboards in the work kitchen. And this is a legitimate place for sharing. I know sometimes people think mm. the people lunch is fair game but if this if stuff is put on this shelf people can legitimately use it and it's a great idea maybe on a Thursday as the week is coming to an end where maybe you might have had a packet of crackers or something and you're only going to use half of them so put them up and share them with people But of course today's world is very fast paced isn't it Odile? It's it's very quick and everyone's rushing around so I suppose making a plan and sticking to it, making a plan is all very well but sticking to it yeah, that's and the hard And your shopping list sticking to it is hard as well. And I think like a plan doesn't have to be a full grid, you know, with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day of the week. One of the things actually is not to plan to cook every night of the week because we don't in general. And, mm. um, you know, there might be a night where everyone is off doing other different things and people coming and going. So, you know, planning for four to five nights a week and others have a, you know, I heard someone refer to it as a tapas night, which is actually a use up the fridge night. Mm. But, you know, using little bits and pieces of everything that 
that's left over and um, you know that kind of thing so but it is really the, the planning know what you have in advance know what you're going to make out of what you have in advance and what you need to supplement that and these are all all just tips as I said it's not rocket science that's, that's the thing about it it's just we need to highlight and, and chat that's what we're trying to do in the workplaces get people to share tips with each other and kind of go well we do this or we make this work for us and that is what we're trying to get people to do is talk to each other about food waste. Because the problems are the same universally really with the food waste but you know what the supermarkets are very clever as well at encouraging us to buy stuff that we don't need. You know when you walk in the door of the supermarket there's flowers there's fresh bread smells coming out at you. You didn't go in there for flowers or fresh bread but I bet you'll come out with them a lot of times. No and that's another one of the challenges when you do go um, for top-up shops during the week Mm. is to only go in for exactly what you went in for and not to come out with a a chainsaw a bunch of flowers and a loaf of bread or (laughs) you know, as we're wont to do or a wetsuit or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that is the thing. And sometimes, you know, for some people it works if you shop online because then you won't be distracted by all those amazing smells and special offers. And we do have on our website, which is stufffoodwaste.ie, we do have this kind of um, guide to shopping, how to get in and out with doing just what you went in to do and be aware of, you know, the special offers that we're encouraging you to buy more. And obviously, like, for, you know, non-perishable things like toilet paper, toiletries, cleaning products, buy one, get one free are great offers. But for things like, you know, salads and fruit and vegetables and things like that, it's not such a good deal if you're going to end up throwing away the stuff that you got for free anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, deal. where can people find out more information then and tips and hints on how to do this? Our website, which is stopfoodwaste.ie, has everything that people will need on there. Perfect. Odile, thanks so much. That's great. Thanks very Take much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low as can be APR, zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. You're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Now, we've all seen the beautiful, well-behaved guide dogs and assistance dogs guiding people on the streets of our towns and cities. But have you ever wondered who trains these animals and what goes into taking a young puppy and training them to become what's an essential part of a person's day-to-day life? Joining me in studio today, I have John Mitchell from the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind and... Avril Shields, who's a puppy raiser for the Society, and her daughter, Orla. Guys, you're all very welcome to studio this afternoon. How are you, John? Will you just pull a lot closer to the microphone for me there? Thanks a million. Can I start with you, Avril, first of all? You're a puppy raiser. That's a new term to me now. What is a puppy raiser? What does it involve? So a puppy raiser, we're basically committing to raising this puppy until they're between 12 and 14 months old from the age of eight weeks. Um, So... We've constant support from guide dogs themselves when we're doing this. We have a puppy supervisor who will, for the first month, be very frequently out at the house and bring you out and show you how to do different training techniques with the dogs. Plus, we'd go to monthly training classes as a group. Um, But how did you get involved? What what made you think I could raise a puppy for to become an assistance dog or a guide dog? Well, we've always actually loved... uh, dogs and one of our friends had a guide dog puppy as a family pet who hadn't made the grade due to illness and they just suggested it to us so I contacted guide dogs myself and they came out and vetted us as a family and vetted the house and make sure myself and my husband were both on board because we're taking this dog into our family and make sure we all know what's happening and um, the emotions that are going to go with it as well, because it is an emotional journey at the same time. Of course it is, yeah. So you're taking on this little baby puppy and then yeah. when he's about, what, a year old, you have to Between let him go? 12 and 14 months old, we let them go. But that's not the end of your journey. Um, when they go down to Cork, you're given the trainer's name down in Cork and they'll contact you within 24 hours to let you know how your pup is settling in. And then you'll get monthly updates from them to say how they're going and then as we like to say, when he graduates, you get your graduation photograph. Of the dog graduating, <laughs> yeah, his exactly, training. Yeah, exactly, in his harness and everything. So, And did you have to do much training yourself? or It's not enough just to be a dog lover and then the, you're allowed to have one of these pups. No, no you have to train. It's like having a baby, really. You 
teach them how, well, you house train them first of all. You go through all of the veterinary things with them, their injections and that. But you have to get them used to sounds. Now, I must say, I found our local bus depot great. I'd ring them and they'd let me come down. They'd take out a bus for me so I could get them used to going on and off the bus. Because it's a different texture on that floor. And you may have, your dog may end up working in a busy city. You bring them into town as much as possible to get them used to noises. Um, Dublin Airport are brilliant as well. You to can, allow you to come in there to help train yeah. to help train the dogs. Yeah. John, can I jump over to you just for a second? Can, can you tell us a bit more about the organisation itself and where where it's based down in Cork, is that right? But you're, you're based here in the east. The, uh, the headquarters in Cork, uh, uh, last uh, September we opened an office in Dublin as well uh, just to try and develop ourselves a bit more on the east coast. But the, the main work is done still in Cork where the, the dogs are trained um, and uh, the... Um, the the, all the 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 planning is done is done 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 yeah. down there in terms of breeding etc cetera, etc cetera. and That's it's not just it, it's not just now about guide dogs for the blind sure it's not it there's assistance dogs and as you were saying to me companion dogs they're trained to help people with other issues what what kind of other issues are these dogs trained for yeah well the uh, the primary role is uh, to assist people who are visual impaired uh, and then the uh, dogs who might not be suitable uh, for, for that role they will be trained as uh, assistance dogs and they will work with uh, families who have children with autism. And what difference have you seen that these dogs make in people's lives when somebody gets their assistance dog, their guide dog? A huge difference in the, in somebody's quality of life. Oh, it's uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's tremendous. I mean, in the, in the case of uh, somebody who's, who's vision impaired, it, it, it gives them independence maybe to... Uh, commence working or to continue working or whatever whatever stage of life they're at but then in the case of family who have a child with autism it's, uh, it's for the whole family it, it changes the dynamic for the family entirely because suddenly you, you'll hear them uh, on interviews etc where they're now suddenly able to go out to the supermarkets they're able to go out to a restaurant they have uh, complete freedom that they didn't have previously before they had the uh, the assistance dog And what is it about the dog? What, with a child with autism we'll say what is it about that dog that he's able to do to help that child who would maybe one time be terrified to go out and on a noisy street or into a supermarket what does the dog actually do well physically the the child with autism is usually linked linked uh, to the dog so that in the in the event of a of a child bolting in a busy environment that the, the dog will just sit and the child is not able to to move away but emotionally they get very attached to the dog the dog becomes their, their main companion and just has a huge calming effect on them yeah uh, at, at all times yeah Orla can I come to you for a second there so you you are Avril's daughter and you raised a, a puppy along with your mom can you tell us um, a little bit about him what was his name his name was Quentin. Quentin, okay. And how long did you have Quentin for? We had him for about 12 months. Yeah. So just over a, maybe a year you had him for. How yeah. did you feel when he came into the house and how did you feel on the day when he had to go? When when they come into the house as the puppies, it's really exci- exciting to see them all. And it's fun like going through the journey of training them and all. But when you're training him, is he allowed to be a normal puppy? Is he allowed to jump up and play and run around or is it strict? It's pretty strict because you have to be careful that he doesn't... They're not allowed to jump up in case if he jumps up while you're taking him out for a walk. Mm. And you have to be careful because guide dogs, you don't really let them play with like balls if they see like a child out playing with a ball so they yeah. won't go running off after it. But Avril, isn't that a, a dog's natural inclination would be to run after a ball, would it? Yeah, but the, there's other ways um, of still giving them free play. We actually bring them for free runs as a communal group of puppy raisers. We have uh, Facebook where we contact each other and we arrange weekly free runs so the dogs can run free and have fun with each other. Yeah. Um, there's loads of different tricks, like you can use the rope toys but what we used to do is actually freeze them so it'd take him it'd be a challenge for him to get through so you're mentally stimulating the dog as well oh right okay and and so you did have good fun with them for the year you had him Orla yeah and when Quentin had to go how were you well it's really upsetting obviously because you've got a connection with a dog since you're around them for that long but you just need to remember how um, they're going to help someone's life in the future and all 
and so, yeah, yeah so bittersweet yeah so <laughs> can I tell, come back to you John for a second if somebody thought oh, I'm interested in that I wouldn't mind doing that are, are you're looking for people at the moment is there there's a campaign for looking for puppy raisers at the moment is there we're always looking for puppy raisers because they're they're the most important link in the whole chain in terms of uh, producing dogs um Unfortunately, we only have a support structure broadly in the Cork area and in the Dublin area at the moment because we need staff to support the puppy raisers with their training and their and their programmes. So uh, the greater Dublin area and the greater Cork area are where, at the moment, we're very much looking for um, for 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 puppy raisers. Okay, and so people and can go on the website and, 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 and put their names down and somebody will contact them and come out and meet them, etc, etc. Okay, and w- in your opinion, the benefits, of course, for the person who gets the assistance or the guide dog, that's huge. But are there benefits as well? As, as Orla said, it was great a great feeling to know that the dog was going to someone and they were going to change someone's life. So is, is that the main thing, you think, when people raise a dog, that they're left with this feeling of well-being because they've done something wonderful? Think, I think to become part of the guide dog community and uh, yes, get, get a great sense of satisfaction. And many of our puppy raisers, they come back uh, time and time again. Some have, have raised five, six, seven uh, puppies, uh, you know, and so they're absolutely invaluable to the organisation. And Avril, when you were raising Quentin, was there a special diet you had to follow? I mean, he wasn't allowed certain things? or, or- No, you, you strictly stick to the food I think it's Royal Cannon they're using at the moment um, but it's a strict amount that you give them each day and to train them you're treating them a lot but you're actually treating them out of their overall food allowance for the day Okay and what, what, how do you train him? I mean is it, tra- is it treat based? Yes very much treat based when they go down to Cork is when I say they go to college down in Cork so yeah. they get the intense training down there um, we're really just getting them used to surroundings, noises, everything because you want everything that's going to help them when they go down because you want the dog to qualify. And were you told, well this guy is going to be um, a guide dog for the blind or an assistance dog or is it just that's the top level and then assistance is next and companion is after that? Yeah, guide dog is the top level. Now you're informed when they go down to Cork as they're going through the programme you are kept up to date on it. Um, So we were really lucky with Quinton. And you had Quinton, he was a black Labrador. He was. He is a black Labrador. He's yep. still with us. Have, you've met him since, have you? We have. We've met the family he's with um, and they're they're lovely and they're so grateful and we couldn't believe how grateful they were because we were just really, we got a lot of satisfaction from doing this and we'll go and do it again. And when <laughs> Quentin saw you, what, yeah, what, was, what was his reaction? He's, um, oh, he was completely excited. He was like a puppy all over again, but he was off harness, so it was <laughs> okay. And um, tell me this, John, you always see Labradors. Or I've seen a few Labradoodles now. It doesn't have to be that breed of dog. That you that are are used for assistance dogs. No, there's a there's a range of there's a, a range of of, uh, of dogs used. Uh, some uh, crosses with uh, with German Shepherd, um, and um, yes, we have some we have some Labradoodles as well. Yeah, but generally the larger type dogs are used. Generally, lar- generally, generally uh, l- larger dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avril, would you do it again? Would you yeah. raise another puppy? In a heartbeat, yeah. Orla. <laughs> Yeah. You definitely would take another one. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyone out there that's interested, just go on the website, Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind, and you can have a look there and see if you're interested in becoming a puppy raiser. So, Avril, you wanted yeah, to come back Yeah, but Joan, in? also, just we're part of the Balbrig and Malahide branch. We do a coffee meeting once a month on the first Thursday of every month in Malahide Pastoral Centre. If anybody wants to come along, have a coffee and a chat with puppy raisers, they might be able to give you even more advice as well. That's okay. from two to four. Okay, perfect. I have to wrap up now, guys. Avril, John, Orla, thanks a million for joining us this afternoon on Late Lunch. Thank thanks. you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. If you want to text or WhatsApp us, you can do so on 086-1800-658. Now, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by the four gentlemen from the traditional music band Cuscon. I've Jerry Doggett, Harry Long, David Nevin and John Shanky. How are you guys? 
Very good. Great. Thanks very much. Yeah. Great. You're all very welcome into Late Lunch. Now, you're a band that's well known, of course, around Ireland and indeed around the world now. But for people who maybe don't know much about you, you can, can you take me back to the start? How did it all happen? Any one of you? Whoever wants to jump in. David? Uh, 20, 21 years ago, actually. 21 years this so, month, um, was it? Yeah, when the four of us got together and um, started playing music in local venues. Um, and then we started writing tunes and we then eventually got our, our first CD out, uh, I think it was 2005, and it went from there. And did you all grow up in musical families? Yes. Yeah, yep. Jerry, did you all grow up in musical yep. families? Yeah, my, my late father played music and my grandmother played music and my uh, my mother's father also played music. So, so it's all, it's in all of you? So yeah, true. my father was a man called Johnny Shanky. He would have been well known in this radio station I, yeah know the name well for years so i would be a member of that clan yeah and harry i know you of course from music from mm-hmm. from teaching in, in school so you've always been involved in music as well yeah yeah from very young yeah i yeah. grew up in a traditional music family my father was he played in a band called the ockram slopes years oh, ago right, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. played accordion very i good. ran from it <laughs> <laughs> i love traditional music he yeah. tried to teach me the accordion one time and I don't know if it was dad or it was me, but yeah, I couldn't yeah. do it. I just couldn't. And I kept away from it since mm, then. Mm. So you guys grew up with that music and you love it and you stuck with it. What, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? It's a beautiful form of music. I absolutely love traditional music, but it didn't stick with me like it did. You mm. know, my father, I grew up with it. Maybe it was the instrument. Maybe you needed a different instrument. Oh, you know, that could <laughs> be it. Yeah, that actually yeah. could be it. I found the accordion extremely hard to mm. master. It's very heavy, especially for young kids. For Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah dad used to teach. He had a class of, of kids who used to come to the house every week and he used mm. to teach them accordion. A full accordion band <laughs> in the house back in the 70s. <laughs> so you do write a lot of your own stuff, a lot of your own music, a lot of your own songs and... And I, I was reading about you guys earlier on and you take your inspiration from the county that you're in, County Louth, County Meath, uh, of course, very ancient counties, of course, steeped in history. So where where do you get inspiration for the tunes? Everywhere, really, along the Bind Valley. I mean, um, um, right from Tara uh, in our Dinchenka's album, that, that was give us the inspiration there, the Hill of Tara. Um, and it's such a magical place. Um, so that, that started off the Tara jig. Um, and mm. then like other tracks now from our, our new album Fire Dance um, we have tracks on it like Millmount Morning Mornington Dawn which is basically Millmount here in Drogheda and Mornington obviously as we know is at the mouth of the Just down the road the, yeah. down the road from us here yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and there are other stories in there as well all taken from the local area whether they're more <laughs> recent or some of them are quite old but we sort of brought them to life in music and you're always touring you're always busy I mean I tried to get you in here before a couple of months ago and I know you were busy David at the time but you're touring you're playing festivals concerts what are you up to what have you been up to recently yeah we just done the Vantastable Festival oh that's a great one uh, yeah. absolutely fabulous yeah. yeah we were on the main stage there it's our second year to perform there um, next week for the solstice the summer solstice we're playing on the hill of Tara a wonderful lovely so we do a concert there and we've done it since back in 2003 I think yeah. every Every 21st of June, that's where you'll find us. doesn't matter where it is. <laughs> <laughs> and imagine it's 21 years this year. Harry, where's the time gone? It's Don't flown. Know. It flies by, yeah, yeah. Does it feel yeah. like 21 years? Not really, no, 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 no. What's the, can I, I'll jump across to Jerry. What, what's your best memory of all those 21 years together as a band? Is there one that sticks out, a place um, you were, a particular crowd you played to? I think uh, the festivals over in Lorient at the Inter-Celtic Festival, they, they, they really stood out. Is that in France? Been in France, yeah. Okay. In Brittany. Uh, we've been there three times, 2007, 2010 and 2014. And uh, the audiences there in Europe really are in in France and, and generally in Europe. They, they, have a, they like uh, Irish folk, traditional music. It's uh, it really goes down well over there. It's and well you received. Get a, you, it's very well received, and you get a great uh, um, applause from the from the audiences there, and great reception. And it really goes down well. You know? Irish music travels very well though yeah. around the world, mm. doesn't it, Harry? Yeah. I mean, mm. if you, you've been all around the world, and it travels very well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And your four fellows would say now, uh, none of us are spring chickens in this studio, and you've all been together twenty one years. Surely to God, travelling around together all that time, there must have been the odd row on the road. 
Look at the sm- Oh, I wish people could see the grins. <laughs> oh my God, the grins. No, we never. We never That's give true. out to each Ara, other. There had all. to be an old disagreement mm. or a row somewhere along the line. Have you never fallen out over artistic differences? Not at we'll all. Say. No, Evan was full no. agreement. No, it's like Graham said earlier. We just we just love hating each other. <laughs> <laughs> I just listened to him earlier. Yes. <laughs> that was brilliant, wasn't it? He loves it with a special kind of hate. He loves his mm. town, Don Chocolin. Yeah. So the latest EP is Fire Dance. We're going to play a tune off that in a few minutes' time. But how did that come about? Was that a collaborative? Uh, did one of you come up with an idea for a tune and then it just grew from there? Um, I, so we were we were actually on another radio station. Um, Tommy Sands. Tommy Sands. Yeah. And mm. um, it was Newry. after that um, interview, we were chatting, um, looking for inspiration of what we wanted to, where we wanted to go with the band um, and what we wanted to do with the music. And it was from the conversation with him, um, with Tommy, and he said, look, where do you come from? And we said, yeah, County Mead. Well, he says, you know, you come from one of the most richly um, cultural places in Ireland. Mm. Why don't you start there? And that's what we did. No better advice. So what's next? Where can people see you if they want to see you guys? We're down in Dublin tonight. Well, where are you tonight? We're in... uh, Taylor's. Three Rock. Taylor's Three Rock, okay, yeah, tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, after that, of course, we, you mentioned the Hill of Tara. And, and what else? We're in Holt. On the 5th, yeah, Holt Trad Festival on the 5th of July. And then we're in the Flat Yole here. Of course. On the, on the 17th, on the gig rig. So you're busy for the summer? Busy, mm. absolutely. Okay. We're in Wheelands and the, the following night. And um, then we're in, back in Holland in September oh fantastic so you're busy for the whole summer mm. well I've been told to wrap it up but um, I want to say Jerry, Harry, David, John collectively Cuscon thanks a million for coming into studio we're going to play out now with a couple of tunes Millmount Morning and Mornington Dawn The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors get low as can be APR zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults what are you waiting for there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan Joining me on the line now to talk about the sporting weekend ahead is Boyle Sports' Leon Blanche. How are you, Leon? Good afternoon, Joan. How are you? Great, thanks. Not a bother. So, a busy, busy weekend ahead in sport. Yeah, look, it certainly is. And I suppose we might as well start off with the uh, second golf major of the year. It is the US Open. And uh, Justin Rose from England had a fantastic round yesterday. He scored six under par. And that puts him right at the top of the leaderboard. And it also makes him the favourite with ourselves at Boyle Sports to win the US Open. He's a 13-2 to two chance. Next in is Rory McIlroy. He's only three shots off the lead. Uh, McIlroy finished three under, so he's second favourite at 15-2. to two. Then we have the likes of Ricky Fowler, who's actually only one shot off the lead. He finished five under par yesterday. He's a 9-1 to one chance. And for plenty of people out there who, of course, were witnessing... Tiger Woods' miraculous comeback in terms of winning the Masters. He's actually a 12-1 chance to win the US Open. But it's great to see McElroy only three off. Justin Rose, as I said, he's the early pace setter, six under, and therefore he's our favourite at 13-2. to two. We're going to switch codes, and we're going to look at the GEA, some massive games this weekend. And we'll start off with the hurling on Saturday night. We've got Kilkenny, who, of course, played a magnificent game last week and only lost to Galway by that single point. Their favourites at 8-13, to taking on Wexford, who are at home at 7-4, to and the draw is 8-1. to And Galway will be going to Parnell Park in Dublin on Saturday night to face the Dubs. Galway are the favourites at 8-15. to Dublin are 2-1, to and the draw here is an 8-1 to chance. But there's no doubt, Joan, the biggest game of the entire weekend it pits the reigning All-Ireland champions, Limerick, taking on many people's favourites to win it this year, Tipperary. It's going to be some game of hurling at 2 o'clock on Sunday. Tipperary are the slight favourites at 10 to 11. Limerick are 6 to 5. And the draw here is 8 to 1. And we're going to just do one football game for this weekend. It is the Connacht football final. It's Galway taking on Roscommon. Galway are the odds-on favourites at 9 to 4 on. Roscommon are 5-2 to two, and the draw here is 15-2 to two. and I have a slight little feeling that the Rossies, the Roscommon men might just get over the line here. They're a 5-2 chance to become Connacht champions of 2019. Leon, loads to keep sports fans busy there for the weekend. Thanks a million to yourself and have a great weekend. Have a great weekend too, Joan. All Thank the best. Thank you. Take care. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get lowest can be APR, zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. Now, just before we wrap up the show, we want to talk about the Boyne Swim. It's happening tomorrow in Drogheda. And Ray Donna is the coordinator of that swim. He's on the line now to tell people not to jump into the water, but to get out and support the swimmers tomorrow. How are you, Ray? John, how are you? I think they won't have to jump into the water. They just have to walk across the street and you'll be <laughs> It's very cold. God help those swimmers tomorrow, Ray. Yeah, it's cold. But look, it's actually it's, 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 it's going to happen anyway. At uh, 10.40 tomorrow, we're all in the water. And uh, 2.7k later, they will arrive at the Boyne Fisherman, having left the bottom of Mel about half an hour, or, or well, the, the fastest one, about 27 or 28 minutes later, will be down at the Boyne Fisherman. So that's, that's pretty impressive. It sure is. So it's going to take it through the port and under the five bridges, and, and then the Viaduct Bridge being the last one, and then and then out um, at the Fisherman's Boathouse. At the, at the, at the Boyne Fisherman. And I mean, it, it, the Boyne Swimmer, you actually painted the pictures that I painted myself. It is just majestic to swim through the town and not very many opportunities available to people to actually swim right through the centre of Drogheda. It's just, it's fantastic. And to go underneath each one of those bridges with the Boyne Voidex in front of you at, at the end of it is, is, is quite impressive, I have to say. And Ray, so tell me this... completely is... sold out, which is brilliant, and that's the first time that's happened. And every year we just come from strength to strength, and there's people coming from all over the country, and some people coming from the UK as well. So it'll be a fantastic day. That's what I was just about to ask you. Um, are you sold out? So you're finished, you're not looking for yeah, swimmers tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely sold out. This is the first time, and it's just absolutely brilliant. The... Um, it was online registration and uh, last night we just finished it off and the last person signed up at about uh, three minutes to 11 last night so there you go so you're on, so what you are looking for then is for people to come out and support the so, swimmers yeah we, it would be great if people came out and, and, and kind of lined, lined the route and, and waved at us and, and encouraged the swimmers as, as they made their way down but this is the sixth year of the event and uh, Drogheda Board Company were the, were the initiators of it and uh, we have the Aura people who are the, the main sponsors of the event and uh, th- of course without all of these people couldn't hold an event like this so it's uh, it's really good and of course the Boyne Fishermen again providing us with their HQ and the facilities and all the resources that they have all the boats on the river and so on will come from the Boyne Fishermen so uh, it's a huge effort and uh, lots of people throwing their tuppence worth into make it all happen for us and Ray what's the fashion for tomorrow the weather is terrible it's cold it's <laughs> rainy are you in are you in your speedos or your wetsuits well, no, no no well you know what I'll be in my wetsuit <laughs> yeah that's wise but that's there very will wise be quite a number of, of skins members as well but uh, generally people will be their wet suit the well yeah lovely stuff so listen if you're out and about in Drogheda tomorrow Saturday June 15th the start time is 20 to 11 just get out and support the swimmers all along the river there tomorrow Ray thanks a million for that John, thank you. Thanks thank you. Take care. Enjoy. So Thanks. that's it from, from Late Lunch for this week. And indeed, that's it for me for a while. Jerry will be back with you on Monday. So I want to say thank you to all of my guests, to my producer, Louise, and to all of you for listening. We're going to play out with Bon Jovi, who are playing the RDS tomorrow night. I'll be there in my wellies with my friend Monica, singing my heart out. So here's Living on a Prayer. Till next time, have a wonderful weekend. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.